We are beginning a new series today called Teach Us to Pray. Every week we will look at one of Jesus' teachings on prayer, and throughout this series we will even take a closer look at the way that Jesus himself prayed. And all of this is to inform us on how we can pray and experience a deeper relationship with the Lord, how we can experience Him and depend on Him. We're a year old, but in no stretch of the imagination are we now going to be less dependent on God. We want to continue to grow in our dependence upon God. And so it's important for us to look at what Jesus taught us about prayer. Today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus tells us the way to pray. Now, there are several ways to pray, but we're going to focus in on one thing in one particular passage today, and that is praying without performing. Praying without performing. Everything that we do is motivated by rewards. There's a reward or a motivation behind whatever it is that you do. For example, let's just take a look at work. You wake up every morning and you go to work or you do what you do because of a reward that draws you. Now, for some of you, the reward might be the work itself. You genuinely love what you do. It gives you a sense of joy, meaning, and purpose. For others of you, the reward is not the work itself, but the reward is what the work allows you to do. For example, it helps pay the bills. It provides for your loved ones, or it enables you to excel in your career so that you'll be able to do the thing that you love. So even if it's not the work that you love, your work provides the ability for you to do things or to take care of things that you love. There are rewards even for watching this service. For some of you, the reward might be, I want to hear something challenging or convicting, or I want to be encouraged with the sermon or the songs. For others of you, it might be, I want to meet with people in community and be able to experience God and our identity as the family of God together. That might be the reward. Well, Jesus wants us to think about this, but in relation to prayer. He says that there's a reward for our prayer. Whenever we pray, we're after something. And he wants us to pause and reflect upon what we're after whenever we pray. And apparently in this passage, there are people who are after the praise and approval of others. And the way that they get it, get people's praise and approval, is by performing through prayer. Let's go ahead and pick up from verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus' teaching on prayer here fits a much larger theme about not performing before others. In fact, a few verses before this, he talks about not performing with your generosity. Whenever you give, don't put it on blast for everyone to know about it. Don't put it on blast so that people will praise you as if that's the greatest reward. There's a phrase that Jesus would use throughout his ministry. He said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, keep it a secret and the God who sees everything in secret will reward you. Now he's actually using the same sort of theme as he talks about prayer here. He says, don't be a hypocrite when you pray. 
The word hypocrite in those days was actually a word for Greek actors. I'm not calling any of the actors in our church a hypocrite. But he would, that's a word that they would use for the actors of the day. And what Jesus is essentially saying is that don't treat your prayer life as one big performance for the world. As if the world is a stage to, so you can demonstrate your piety and spirituality. Jesus suggests that there is a way to pray that is just one big show for others to see, one big performance. And prayer is not a platform for your performance. Because if that's what you're after, if you do it for the applause, you'll probably get it. But that's the only reward you're going to get. Not the fact that God has heard or all the benefits that come with that. Not the fact that God will answer and not even God himself. But what happens when you do as Jesus says here and you pray in secret? What's actually taking place when you pray without performing? Well, you demonstrate faith. You demonstrate that faith in that God sees and that God is enough. That His approval matters more than the approval and praise of people. That God is the one that you're after and that is enough for you. He sees and you don't need anyone else to see. He hears you, and you don't need anyone else to hear you. So whenever you cultivate a private prayer life, and prayer is not about performing before others, you demonstrate faith, a statement of faith in the worth of God, faith in the fact that God hears, and that is sufficient for you. Jesus says here that God will reward you. And we're not really sure what that reward is, but it certainly has to include God. Because all the cares and anxieties that lead us to pray, God uses those things to draw us to Himself so that we can experience Him and He can reveal His goodness and His power in our lives. In other words, the greatest reward has to include God because all of the crises and challenges that we face are intended to lead us to Him. So of course it must include Him. So to be under his gaze and in that moment, share your burden, your anxiety, your concern, your worry, share your need and, and your, and all of the things that end up weighing you down. In that moment to receive the Lord and his direction, his provision and his correction, that is the reward. Experiencing his strength in the midst of our fears, his peace in the midst of our burdens, this is the reward. When we pray without performing, without pretense, it is an act of faith. It demonstrates that we are after the greater reward. Today, because of social media, we have a much greater stage than the people in Jesus' day. Right now, you really have access to people in other parts of the world right in your, at your fingertips because of social media. And I'm blown away by how often we take intimate moments and we put it on blast for the world to see. Whether it's the food that we eat or um, taking a picture of an open Bible while doing devotions. I'm not saying anybody does that. Um, If you look at my newsfeed, you might find a cookie or something, some food that I've I've, uh, put on Instagram. My point is not to rant against social media. I guess it's to really take a look at our temptation to be seen by others, especially in very intimate moments. 
I remember when our daughter was born. This is before we had our, 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 our second child. We, had, we would constantly chronicle her life through, by taking photos. So we had so many photos of her that we would want to put up online. I remember once I was spending time with her, and not just once, I, I spent time with my kids. But I, I remember when we were together and she did something funny, she did something cute, and I wanted to pull out my phone and I wanted to go ahead and I wanted to take a photo of it and put it on Instagram and make a comment on it. But on that particular occasion, I decided to stop and I asked myself, wait a second, why am I doing this? What am I after? What do I hope will be celebrated in this particular moment? Because the idea is that whenever we put something on blast for others to see, it's we want others to share in our joy. That's when it's wonderful and it could be redeemed, right? But a lot of times, it's not the moment that we want celebrated. We are the ones that want to be celebrated. So when we take a photo of a Bible and we're putting our devotions or sharing our thoughts and our observations, it's not that we want them to share in our joy in discovering this treasure. That we want them to celebrate us and how clever and insightful we are. So in that moment, it might not be that we want them to share in a joy that we had with our child or with a friend or, or another relationship, but we want to be the ones that are celebrated. And in such moments, we have to take a look at our desires and the reward that we're chasing. Because whenever we do that, we are treating the people and the moment in front of us as a means to an end. And when we do that in prayer, we are treating God as a means to an end. Because it's not God that we're after. It's the praise and approval of people. I'd love for you to see this in Jesus' life. I'd love for you to see a situation in Scripture where people were flocking to Jesus. There was momentum for the ministry. And if there was ever a time for him to have a stage, this would have been it. But I want you to notice what he does. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, picking up from verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him, Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at, together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Now notice what Jesus does here. He's experienced incredible success in his ministry. There is a city gathered at his door. But nevertheless, hours later... Jesus gathers himself to pray when no one else is around and no one else can see. He pulls away to a desolate place by himself, rising early in the morning to be with God. And when they tell him what everyone wants to hear, right? Even introverts who want to be known for their creativity and their genius, right? He, the, he hears what everyone wants to hear. Everyone's looking for you. He says, no, I must go on to the next town for that's why I came. So what would this communicate to you if you were one of Jesus' disciples in those days? What would it communicate to you if after experiencing great success and fanfare, you found Jesus praying? 
It's like your best day at school or your best day at work. You've just given a presentation or completed a project and you've knocked it out of the park. The entire building or campus is buzzing about you. You are the once in a lifetime or once in a millennium sort of talent that they've been waiting for. Think about the height of your success. The stage has been set. What would you do next? Jesus pulls away to pray. Even if it isn't literally a city gathering at your door, it's what it represents. Think about what it represented for the disciples. It likely represented success. For us, if you're an entrepreneur, maybe it represents momentum. For artists, fame. For writers, exposure and validation. For teachers, impact. For corporate America, wealth or status. For students, achievement and recognition. For ministry, accomplishment. For nearly everyone, significance. Everyone is looking for you. You've got the stage. But what does Jesus do? Within hours, while everyone is still asleep and they can't see him, he pulls away to a desolate place so he can be alone with God. God is not a prop on a stage that Jesus uses to perform before others because being with him is what satisfies him. Simply being with the Father and doing his will is what satisfies Jesus. Now, you may say, Jason, I don't really struggle with that. Um, I don't take selfies of myself praying and post it online. I don't really care if anybody sees me. It's not what I'm after. When I pray, I don't care if people praise me for the way that I pray. I don't perform before others when I pray. And that might be true. But that doesn't mean that you don't still perform before someone else. We've looked at praying without performing before others, but there is another way to perform as well. Let's pick up from verse 6 again. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus says, don't perform in prayer. And then he goes from talking about our desire to perform before others to our desire to perform before God. Well, how do you do that? Well, all the focus and the hope is in your words. So when you pray, you think that somehow you're going to be heard for your many words or your eloquence, or your cadence, and your tone, your emotion, and your passion. You think that if I could just get the words in the right order, God will hear me. And it's another way of performing. This time God is the audience, and you're performing, and your hope and your focus is on your words. Jesus says, don't do that. You don't need to perform before others, and you don't need to perform before God. So here's some questions to consider in order for us to get at maybe the ways that we might do this. When you pray, do you focus mostly on the words? I'm not saying the words are not important. Of course they are. But is that where your hope lies? In what you bring to the table? Do you focus on, mostly on your words? Getting it all together, all the words in the right order. Do you believe that you are heard for your eloquence? Or do you really try to impress God with your spirituality when you pray? 
Do you hope in your cadence, your volume, your tone, or your emotions? Do you somehow believe that when you pray, you're not really approaching a father who hears you and loves you, but when you pray, you're really, it's a really an opportunity for you to impress God? You might have heard me ask this question before, but this is a good thing for us to think about. When you pray, do you pray in order to impress God or because you find Him impressive? It's a fundamental difference in how we start our prayer. Am I praying right now in the morning or in the evening or whenever I pray in order to impress God? Or am I praying because I am so thoroughly impressed by Him? His goodness, His welcome, His compassion, His wisdom, His power in my life. Because if you pray as a performance before God, if you place your focus upon your eloquence, your words, and what you bring to the table, you also can end up using God. Just like those who would take selfies of themselves praying, all right? You also can end up using God as well. The pagans saw God as a power to be manipulated, that if they could just get the words right, if they could pray strongly enough, if they could multiply their words, and then God would be forced to answer. He was a means to an end. They didn't treat him as a person. They treated him as a power to be manipulated. And the way that they could access that power was to be able to get their words just just right. But Jesus reminds us that prayer is personal because God is a person who sees us, who knows us, and what we need even before we ask, and nevertheless invites us to experience His fatherly heart in bringing our request before Him so that He could show His power and His goodness and His faithfulness when we ask. A person who performs hopes in what she says. She hopes in herself. A person who doesn't hopes in God who hears, hopes in God. I'm going to say that again. A person who performs before God hopes in herself, in her words. But a person who doesn't hopes in God, in a God who hears and is compassionate to answer. We are to put away all pretense, all performance, not just when we're before others, but even when we are with God. One of the best books I've ever read on prayer is called A Praying Life by Paul E. Miller. The entire book helps us recover a childlike heart before God. And one of the things that you notice with children is that they come to you as they are, without pretense, when they ask for things. And he invites us to, to pray to God in that way as well. He writes, the difficulty of coming just as we are is that we are messy and prayer makes it worse. When we slow down to pray, we are immediately confronted with how unspiritual we are and how difficult it is to concentrate on God. We don't know how bad we are until we try to be good. Nothing exposes our selfishness and spiritual powerlessness like prayer. Jesus does not say, come to me, all you who, are, who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. No, Jesus opens his arms to his needy children and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. What does it feel like to be weary? You have trouble concentrating. The problems of the day are like claws in your brain. You feel pummeled by life. 
What does heavy laden feel like? Same thing. You have so many problems, you don't even know where to start. You can't do life on your own anymore. Jesus wants you to come to Him that way. Your weariness drives you to Him. Private, personal prayer is one of the last great bastions of legalism. In order to pray like a child, you might need to unlearn the non-personal, non-real praying that you've been taught. In other words, you need to stop performing in prayer. Stop believing that you are heard for your many words. You can come weary and heavy laden. I love how he reminds us that what is it like to be weary? Well, we have trouble concentrating. But whenever we, we are weary in prayer and we struggle to concentrate, we feel like God is upset with us. No, He says, come with your weariness. Come heavy laden when you feel pummeled by life. You don't need to hope in your words or your ability to concentrate. You can hope in a Father who loves you, who sees you, who knows you, and welcomes you. I love this illustration that C.S. Lewis gives or this observation that he makes about our reluctance to come to God with the sickness, our reluctance to come to God with all the things that are wrong. It's like we want to present the things that are right about us to God. But we never do this when we go to a doctor. We're never reluctant to bring forth our sickness or we don't start stalling by talking about all the things that are working well. Imagine if you were in a doctor's office. How many of you, after waiting for the doctor to come in, would start by saying, oh, it's so good to see you. Good morning. My arms and my joints feel great. I got to tell you, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but my eyes and my hearing Superb. I mean, everything is going well with my joints, right? Everything is going well with my back. You don't do that. You don't stall. You don't start droning on about all the things that are working well or all the things that are healthy. You feel complete freedom to immediately go in with what's not. Maybe when the doctor is halfway through the door, you already got your shirt lifted up saying, can you look at this mold that I have? Like you, you feel the freedom to go ahead and talk about the things that aren't working well. But as Lewis observes, for some reason, we feel reluctant to do that with God. We are shy about talking about the things that aren't working well, the things that are wrong about our hearts, the things that we need to confess before Him, the things where we need His intervention in our hearts and in our daily lives. We are reluctant to say what we really think. We are reluctant to come messy, to say things like, God, I don't even know how to do this. I don't have the words this morning, Lord. Lord, I can't even concentrate. I can't even think straight. I can barely focus. My thoughts wander. Or I'm terrified, God. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm at my wits end, God. I could barely lift my head this morning, Lord. I don't know where you are or what you're doing, God. Do you feel the freedom to come to God like that? I was at a pastor's call recently on Zoom where the pastor, the one who was presenting, Pastor Doug Logan, whom you'll get a chance to hear from in several weeks, he said something that I loved. He said, complaining about God is a sin, but complaining to God is a psalm. And it's okay for us to go to God with our complaints, come messy just as we are. God invites us to do so. So what is it that prevents you from going to God just as you are in the midst of all of your mess now? Why do you feel tempted to still perform? But coming to God like that with all of our messiness and our weariness without pretense or performance is a statement of faith, as I mentioned earlier. 
It's a statement of faith in God and His grace towards us in Jesus Christ. It's a statement of faith that I can do this right now and God welcomes me, not because of me or my performance or my goodness, but He welcomes me because of Jesus. Every time we go to God, not hiding the sickness, not hiding the worst about us, but going and leading with that, it is a declaration of faith that we can do this because of Jesus and what He has done on our behalf. We can fight through the feelings of unworthiness. We can press past the feelings of inadequacies. We can come to God with our worst because we believe that Jesus has already endured our worst. We can come just as we are in all our messiness because He loved us when we were not at our highest but our lowest estate. That's when He came towards us and came near to us and loved us. We don't have to perform because we were never accepted on the basis of our good works or our good words. We are accepted on the basis of His grace towards us in Jesus Christ. So coming to God as I am is a bold declaration of faith that Jesus has done everything that was needed to be done in order for us to come to God just as we are. So as we pray, we don't need to perform before others because He is enough. And we don't need to perform before God because Jesus is enough. Let's pray.